weekend we pay tribute to those who are willing to sacrifice all for their country. We honor their bravery and their willingness. We think of their families who suffered immeasurable loss by losing them, you know, early in life. Is that... Is that better? Okay. And you know, Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than to give their life for their friends. And we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we also have a more intimate knowledge of what it means for someone to sacrifice their life for the sake of others. Because that's what our faith is all about, isn't it? Our faith rests in the fact that Jesus Christ loved enough, that God loved us enough to send his son, and Jesus Christ loved us enough to come down and sacrifice his, lo- his life so that we could have eternal life. The only thing that will bring forgiveness, the only thing that will bring eternal life is the sacrifice of Christ. But you know, on this weekend... <clears throat> When we pay special honor to heroes from our nation, we know that there have been many brave heroes throughout the history of our church, of the church, who chose death over denying uh, faith in Christ. And we have early solid accounts of 11 of the 12 apostles of Jesus willingly giving their lives for the cause of Christianity. And the last apostle, the apostle John, there are stories, but they aren't as solid as the other stories of the other 11. And then we have accounts through all of history of the church of Christians bravely suffering horrible persecution for the cause of Christ. You might remember Stephen in the book of Acts, a leader in the early church, He was right in the time of the apostles. The apostles were the beginning of the church. And God had gifted him in a very special way to perform great wonders and signs. And he was going around Jerusalem and he was performing these signs. He was becoming well known and people were turning to Christ because of his message and because of the proof behind his message in the wonders and signs. A lot of rejoicing was taking place as people were turning to Christ turning to the Christian faith, and receiving forgiveness for sins. But for Stephen, that's where the trouble begins. I want you to follow along as I read from Acts chapter 6 and verses 8 through 15. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Also means that they were slandering 
Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, which is the temple, and against the law. That was their way they were blaspheming Moses they were accusing them of. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. <clears throat> now we know that the Jews hated Jesus, right? The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. They had him put to death. And now they're trying to stop his followers from carrying his message on and from trying to prove or trying to tell people that Jesus had been resurrected. And they're trying to bury that testimony and stop those who are uh, spreading the message. So they bring Stephen before the high court, the Jewish high court. They need to stop him. <clears throat> and so they enlist some false witnesses to speak against him and just kind of say things that really they had no proof for. And of course, they say he never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law of Moses. And <clears throat> what they're referring to probably is that, you know, the law of Moses were the things that it set the groundwork for their society, but it also had the, the commandments, and the Jews believed that you had to keep so many commandments or, you know, be so close to keeping the commandments in order to be a, a godly person. And Jesus' message was you could never keep the commandments, so you had to turn to him for salvation. And they, and they were, they hated that message, the Jews did. So they say he was, Stephen was blaspheming the temple of God because Jesus said, destroy this temple and three days I will rise it up again. And they say he was blaspheming the law of Moses. But you know what is interesting is that as the Jewish high court has their eyes fixed on Stephen and they're all listening to him and he's answering those charges, it says there that his face was like the face of an angel. You know, often when the Bible speaks of people seeing angels, not always, but often, it's a very frightening experience. This verse doesn't go into any detail as to what they actually saw, but you can imagine his face in some way was changing into some, some kind of image that was probably pretty startling. I imagine those people in the Sanhedrin were kind of looking at each other thinking, all right, what's going on here? He looks like an angel. So you can see God's involvement and Stephen empowering him and backing his message and even giving him his message as he's talking. But he's been accused of blaspheming the temple and the law of Moses, two major pillars of Judaism. And he's about to answer those charges. His, his answer is quite lengthy. It's all of chapter 7 of Acts. So I'm just going to summarize it and then read his conclusion. So Stephen traces through, he goes back and starts at the beginning of the Israelite nation, how it was formed. God calls Abraham, 
out of his home and tells him he's going to give him another home and give him a land and a people that would be his covenant people. And he says, leave your family, go to this land I'm going to show you, and you'll become my covenant people. So Abraham goes to Canaan, the land of Israel, that area, and then through a series of things, we're, we're summarizing here, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. You have <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. They're in the land of Canaan. There's a famine. You know, we know Joseph has been sold into Egypt. There's a famine in Canaan. And so the uh, sons go down to Egypt to get food. And it ends up the whole family moves down there. 70, 75 Israelites move down there. And during those 200 years after Joseph, the, the nation just grows and grows, and Pharaoh tries to stop them from growing. He's getting threatened by them that they could maybe take over or they could help another nation take over. And so he ruthlessly makes them slaves and makes them work, you know, long, long hours and treats them harshly and beats them when they don't meet their quota. And the Israelites cry out to God. And then God sends them Moses, right? And while Moses leads the Israelites, you know, after all the plagues and God frees them from Pharaoh, Moses leads the Israelites 40 years through the desert. And during that 40 years, Moses is writing down the Pentateuch. God is giving him instructions for how to uh, have a community that honors him. But as Stephen is speaking to this Sanhedrin, he says that God gave them these instructions on how to live their lives, how to live as a community of God. And he says, but your ancestors refused to obey them. They were given this special possession from God to be a special nation for him and to, to live lives that would, would please him, and they refused to obey it. They would keep turning to idols and worshiping the bodies in the heavens. And so that is how Israel treated this precious law of Moses, Stephen is telling them. They basically rejected it. They wouldn't live by it. And then they said, will you blaspheme the temple? And then Stephen quotes their scriptures, basically saying, God does not live in a place that were made, made by the hands of men. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So what Stephen is saying there is they're accusing him, him of blaspheming the law of Moses and he's saying your ancestors never even followed them. And then they're saying you're blaspheming the temple and he says God says he can't even live in a temple. The earth and the heavens are his temple. So what are you worried about? And then I want you to see how <clears throat> this plays out. 
Here's Stephen's answer to them. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Like the dead skin's not cut off. You're still, un, you're still not people of God. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the, the Messiah. They even killed the ones who predicted the Messiah's coming. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, let me see if I got that. Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's when they took him out to stone him. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. <clears throat> the bravery of Stephen is pretty remarkable, wouldn't you say? Stephen is a hero of the faith. We've seen heroes for our nation, and we've seen heroes for the church. But why would God allow Stephen to be treated so badly by evil men? If he was God's servant and God was backing him up and God was giving him the things to say, why would he allow those people to treat him so badly? And why would God give him such sharp words to speak to them? I mean, it was Stephen's speech that caused them to get so mad that they took him out and stoned him. And it said there that God was giving him those words. Well, here's what happens afterwards. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this was Stephen's stoning that caused this. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the... I'm having a battle here. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. God's plan always accomplishes his perfect will. He works all things together for good, the, the bad and the good, the good intentions, the bad intentions, and he takes them all and he puts them together 
in the right way at the right time just to get the perfect results. And we see this in Stephen's martyrdom. His martyrdom thrusts the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Up until then, they were preaching the word all through Jerusalem. And people were coming to the Lord. But they weren't leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus said, you will go to all the world and preach the gospel. But this killing of Stephen catapulted the gospel out of Jerusalem. And there we get the movement of the gospel. And you know, we ourselves have become benefactors of that, haven't we? I mean, everybody outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel now, just think how the word has spread, and it all started with Stephen's death. All sufferings for Christ, all sacrifices for the gospel, help build the church and lead to more salvations. God uses it all. It continues today, doesn't it? And as God joins his wisdom and his power and his goodness to our efforts and our, our faithfulness and our trust in him, well, no faithful act is done in vain. It all redounds to God's glory and it all leads to the spread of the message. And you know, today... <clears throat> People of faith are still putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. In many places around the world, so many people are being persecuted and they're suffering unbelievably, as well as they're, they're dying for the faith, but they're suffering unbelievably. Some of them are always have to be on the watch of attack. Sometimes their houses get burned down, the churches are bombed, living under constant threats of death and attack. Now, I'd like to read you <clears throat> an account of this one man. His, his name was Wang Ziming. He was born, he was from China, born just a year after the first missionaries arrived in his home, or his home county of Wuding. His faith in Christ was likely a fruit of those missionaries. Ziming went on to become a pastor to almost 3,000 Christians, shepherding them during one of China's most violent periods, which was the Cultural Revolution that started in 1966. Mao Zedong launched the Cultural Revolution in an effort to modernize China's economy so they could compete with the West in their economy. In his communist zeal, Mao mounted an attack on the four old. Old habits, old customs, old culture, and old thinking. They arrested government officials and intellectuals, anyone suspected of bourgeois behavior, and sent them to community farms to work alongside peasants. Christians like Wang Ziming were specifically targeted. The communists already knew Zeming was a problem to their atheistic ideological cause. The government had tried to get him to conform to communist principles, even sending him to Beijing to meet with Mao Zedong. But their attempts to re-educate Zeming and persuade him to join the Communist Party failed entirely. He returned to the Yunnan province, even more determined to advance God's kingdom in Wuding County. 
Like other Chinese Christians, Ziming and members of his family were targeted at the outset of the Cultural Revolution. Their home was plundered, they were beaten, tied together, and paraded from village to village. Ziming was forced to wear a dunce cap with labels accusing him of being a spy and a lackey of the imperialists. He and his family were also condemned at public meetings where they were berated and spat on. Still, he continued his Christian work, sharing the gospel in nearby villages and taking Christians to, mount ca to mountain caves for prayer and fellowship, even though they had no Bibles. In May of 69, several years into the Cultural Revolution, the communists had had enough of Ziming and arrested him. A pastor named Elder Long, who had given in to the communists and become an atheist, incited authorities to make the arrest. <clears throat> Condemned as a counter-revolutionary, Ziming languished in prison for four years before being sentenced. Then on December 29, 1973, authorities paraded him before thousands of spectators in Wuding Sports Stadium to pronounce and carry out his death sentence. However, prior to his execution in the stadium, Ziming managed to share some final words. He said, you should follow the words from above and repent. Soon after his execution, the communists arrested other church leaders in the area. Ziming's wife was in prison for three years, while two of his sons were in prison for nine years. His third son died in prison. While the communists <coughs> hoped Ziming's execution would suppress the church, it had the opposite effect. Christians were not intimidated by his execution, and the church in Wuding County eventually multiplied. <clears throat> you know, we have had heroes from our nation that have sacrificed all for their country, for our country, <clears throat> for our freedom, for the kind of government that we enjoy, for the kind of freedom that we enjoy. And we have had heroes in the church, all through the church. It started out with people sacrificing their lives. Start out with Christ sacrificing his life. <clears throat> and on and on to people, <clears throat> excuse me, in many, all over the world, in all ages, sacrificing lives for Christ. And that's what our faith is all about. Our faith is giving our lives for Jesus Christ. And for some people, it means giving their lives and, and entering death for Christ. For others, it's just living our lives, uh, giving for him, and helping those. And we have a chance to help those who are in these other countries who are sacrificing as we, you know, have our different organizations that minister to people who are suffering for the faith. And we need to pray for them. We can always be praying for them. We, we can have letters uh, that you can get from Voice of the Martyrs and other, other places that give you names of people, that you can write to them. <clears throat> but they are our heroes of the faith. And they are willing to sacrifice their lives, their freedom, uh, their families, for the sake of the gospel. And today we'd like to honor both. And may we do all that we are called to do where we live, even though we have it much easier than so many other people. May we live with that same self-sacrifice, 
self-sacrificing attitude that really is a part of the Christian faith, that Jesus left us to live so that others could come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those who have given their all for our freedoms and for our nation and for us to continue on. We thank you for their bravery. We thank you for those who even now are enlisting and volunteering to, uh, to put their lives online. We pray for their families, Lord, that you would protect them and help them, minister to them, uh, give them the things that they need. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters across this world who sacrifice for you daily, who under threats of terror, under threats of persecution, who spend time in jail, who are separated from their families. Lord, we pray your special protection on them. We pray that many would be released from prisons. We pray that country leaders would come to know you because of their faith, because of the faith of the faithful. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to know what to do to help them, to be in prayer, to give, and to be just their source of, uh, of help when they need it. We pray all this in Jesus' name.